This is Over the Culture Podcast, where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. You also get to hear about things I don't like, like payday loans. Ugh, you fucking sharks. And I'm your bastard of ceremonies, the one gig kid, Pat Stayblank, Alex Treblank, Luther Sutherland, Luke Fly Talker, the most interesting lyric in podcasting, the troll of trolls, the prince of petty, the macho Mandalorian, Steve G. Steve Perry. It's July 31st, 2022, and the latest in Steve's toxic boy shitty hell of a summer. My car got repoed. Yes, my piece of shit car that I'm still making payments on and I, I hate, yet I got no choice but love. It got taken from me, and this time it wasn't because my place of residence saw expired tags or my car looked suspicious. No, 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 no. It was because I was late on payments, and my bank wasted no dime strapping that bitch up and taking it away. And it's still gone because I currently do not have the funds. Um, I like to think eventually I'll get that car back with a little help from my friends or family. Yeah, more than likely my family. Um, but I got caught up in the payday loan rabbit hole, um, a major repair on my car. It required me to dig deeper and look out for one of these online payday loans. So I did that. So because I took out that payday loan, they take money out of your paycheck. Um, you know, I made the repair. I took care of that but i still got other bills i still have to make payments like i said on that car i still have rent i still have a phone bill i have credit card bill shit i gotta eat gotta get gas and that piece of shit so once paycheck comes around huge chunk is taken out well what do i do oh let me look for another payday loan robbing peter to pay paul so the cycle continues. Next paycheck comes around. Oh, two payday loans taken out. Well, now I got to rob Peter and Paul to pay Mary. And it's just been ongoing all summer. This toxic ass hell of a summer I've been having. And it's gotten to the point now where I see none of my check. It's been that way. I have no problem sharing that with people. Um, you know, y'all are my people, my boys and girls, my brothers and sisters, my niggas. And that's what's been going on in my life. Uh, as soon as I get my check, yup, not only do you get a dollar, a penny, a percentile, you get Nathan, you in the hole, you were negative below zero. So recently I've been having to dig, 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 dig deeper and see what I can do, payday loan, another loan, just to get out of the hole, just so I can eat, just so I can survive. Because the cost of living is ridiculous. And this job, this company that I work for, that I put my time, my life into, they've been promising us this raise all year. And here we are going into fucking August. 
And the latest I heard, well, the raise is going to come in August. Motherfucker, I heard that in May, June, and July. Still no raise. And what the fuck is so magical about August that you decided, oh, this would be the time? Nah, man, we've already been suffering. Some of us have already drowned. Going back and forth to this place to make shit happen. And I feel like the higher ups don't realize the sacrifices we make just to make this shit work for the day. Still no raise, still no increase in pay, no merit increase, no annual raise. Nah. So what did I have to do now? What do I do now? Just this morning, I applied for UPS because huh, like the great Christopher Wallace once said, they are hiring. And I applied for Amazon. Mr. Baldass Bezos, I wouldn't mind working for either because I'm sick of being broke. I'm sick of struggling. I want to live. I want to enjoy life. This is not how life is supposed to be. And for the Amazon job, it's a full time job. I'm already working 40 hours. Fuck it. I'll put in a 40 at another place. Because another one of my favorite rappers, a fellow Virgo, said, I never sleep because sleep is the cousin of death. And that's going to be Steve G if I can do it. If I get hired, if I can pass this mouth swab, which shouldn't be too hard. It shouldn't be. You know, my only experience with mouth swabs uh, was back in Ohio when I lived there for a year. I moved back home and I was getting into this temp agency. Um, I actually smoked half a blunt on my way to that bitch and I popped a peppermint when I got there. They told me it was a mouth swab. I put a peppermint in my mouth, drank some water, spit that shit out, drank some more. Then I drank some more and I passed that bitch after smoking half a blunt on the way to the temp agency. So wish me luck, people. To add insult to injury. Like I said, this has been a shitty summer for Steve. I wake up this morning to find out Bill Russell has passed. The legendary Boston Celtic. Uh, and not just a great in basketball on the court. He was a great off the court. He played for racist-ass Boston in the 1950s and 60s. And then when he retired, he coached him and won more championships. The man is an 11-time NBA champion, most valuable player, five times 12-time all-star uh, all-star game mvp he made it to the first team second team all defensive first team four-time rebounding champion lifetime achievement award uh two-time ncaa champion for the san francisco dons i didn't even know that's what they were called uh you know he won two championships with san francisco dons in the 50s and that is the only relevance the San Francisco Dons have ever had and probably ever will have. Of course, his number six is retired by the Celtics. Uh, he was a NCAA tournament most outstanding player. He was a player of the year for the WCC and just an all around champion. Off the court and on the court. And he will be missed, man. I mean, he was so legendary that they renamed one of their trophies. The NBA renamed the NBA Finals MVP trophy. They changed that to the Bill Russell NBA Finals Most Valuable Player Award or something of that nature. But yeah, man, RIP to another real one. And uh, I've been hearing about SummerSlam nothing but rave reviews 
about this SummerSlam. Uh, some people have even gone far as to say this is the greatest pay-per-view I've seen in a long time. And I believe it. Uh, I shit you not, people. I'm finally, finally fucking going to watch a current modern WWE event. I'm going to watch that shit tonight because I'm off. Uh, you know, while I'm trying to figure out how to get my fucking car back, get on the horn and all of that shit. Um, this is the first pay-per-view without Vince McMahon who kind of built this shit. I wouldn't say from the ground up, but he, he made it to the point where of where it's at now to where it's a worldwide fucking business. It's the first one without him, and they say it's a hit. The people are loving it. And, you know, Vince, I mean, I think that has something to do with his losing touch of reality or losing touch with the people. And people have been saying for years, man, you need to hand over the reins. And here we are. The reins have been handed over. Triple H is the captain of this ship, and he put together a great show by all accounts. So I'm looking forward to that. I saw a little clip of the beast Brock Lesnar pulling up to his match against Roman Reigns in a fucking lit. Uh, what is it? A, a the tractor trailer. The motherfucker pulled up to a, to the match in a tractor trailer, and I don't know. He he came up to the ring, uh, lifted the trailer, whatever you call them things, the pitchfork, whatever the fuck. He lifted it, hopped on top of the fucking lift. And that was his entrance. So that was intriguing. Now, RZA put out an album on July 22nd, and I missed that. I don't know how, but it's called Bobby Digital in the Pit of Snakes. Uh, none of the Wu-Tang affiliates are on it. It's just all Bobby with some singers in the background or whatever. But the album is not even that long. The Bobby Digital in the Pit of Snakes. It's 29 minutes and 38 seconds. There's only eight tracks. And I got to say, as a Wu-Tang fan, as a RZA slash Bobby Digital fan, um, I was disappointed. It, it was just, it sounded like film scores. It, it sounded like film scores with Bobby talking over it and sometimes rapping. Um, it's very melodic. I mean, it, it is RZA, so the production it's crispy, but man, you know, it's something that, eh, if I would have missed it completely, I wouldn't be disappointed. But uh, Domo Genesis, I was impressed with that. And his latest album, Intros, Outros, and Interludes, was a fucking banger. Intros, Outros, and Interludes is had 11 tracks, and that one was shorter, 25 minutes and 56 seconds. And there is a feature with my guy boldy james yeah one of my favorite mcs not just detroit mcs one of my new favorite mcs man and uh the track with boldy james is december coming um it's very fitting that he collaborated with domo genesis because they it seems like they use similar uh gritty underground sounding beats um but there were also features from evidence remy banks and navy blue um for those of you who don't know about domo genesis he was a part of the infamous odd future gang 
and you know Tyler the Creator was kind of the the face of that franchise and then you had Earl Sweatshirt so it was like Mike and Scotty at least in my opinion um, there were several other people in the group but Domo Genesis is usually people's third favorite um, behind those two But, I mean, it's unfortunate because Domo Genesis is actually a dope MC from L.A., man. It's kind of like the Inspected Deck scenario. Like, Inspected Deck is one of the most underrated MCs of all time. And that's only because he's in a group of really superbly talented MCs. It's like you listen to Inspected Deck and it's like, man, this dude is good. But it's hard to shine like you want to when you're sharing tracks with Method Man, Ghostface Killer, RZA, Jizza, Raekwon. I mean, so I feel the same way about Domo Genesis and Odd Future. And, uh, you know, maybe one day Odd Future will get back together. But if you like great hip hop, check out Domo Genesis intros, outros and interludes. Um, also, I was impressed with Wiz Khalifa's latest album, Multiverse, which came out on Friday as well. And I feel like Wiz Khalifa's album, which is 17 tracks, 59 minutes and 14 seconds. That's a full length album right there. I feel like Multiverse, he accomplished what Drake tried to accomplish with that bullshit he dropped earlier this summer. Um, it's that vibe he's going for vibes with multiverse yes and i mean that's what drake was doing with that bullshit and for the people those worldly otherworldly people who want to pop their pinky up online and flex and cap who you need to travel to fully appreciate the drake album Get the fuck out of here. Shut the fuck up. Don't talk to me. Don't look at me, you dumb sons of bitches. I don't give a fuck where I'm at. That Drake album is trash. BFI certified. That shit sucks in Atlanta. That shit sucks in Antigua. That shit sucks in fucking Akron. I don't give a fuck where you listen to that Drake album. It fucking sucks. But this Wiz Khalifa multiverse, well done, sir. It has that worldly fucking exotic feel to it that grown and sexy pop some bubbly pop some crown shit i don't know whatever your choice of beverage is check out that multiverse because he even has rap more rap than drake had on his he's he's got the melodic shit where he's singing and he's doing the 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 crooning for the ladies and shit yeah wiz wiz is going to give you that it, some songs are popish, some songs are R and B ish, but he's definitely dropping bars at the same time, man. So if you listen to that Drake shit, that last Drake album, I don't want to shit on Aubrey completely, but that last album is trash. So if you listen to that shit, turn that shit off and play Multiverse. But all things July thirty first. In 1987, the cult classic The Lost Boys premieres in theaters, and on that same day, NWA airs the pay-per-view The Great American Bash 87. In 1991, the film Hot Shots premiered in theaters. That following year in 92, the film Bebe's Kids premiered in theaters, and Bebe's Kids was inspired by the comedy of the late great Robin Harris, 
who was slated to do the voice work for the main character um you know the the animation it was styled in his liking in his likeness but uh because he had passed in 1990 uh Faison love was was dubbed the guy for for that role and i felt like he did it justice uh, bay bay's kids it did not get the greatest reviews from the critics but it's a cult classic nonetheless and on that same day in 92 buffy the vampire slayer the movie not the film not the tv show but the movie starring christy swanson and luke perry premiere as well as death becomes her starring bruce willis meryl streep and goldie hahn and another cult classic i remember watching that over and over when they brought it to hbo you know they they do the the theater run when it's first release and then you know once it's out of press or whatever they pass it on to hbo or the showtimes or the cinemaxes and when it was their time to be on hbo when we had our free trial yeah man i remember watching that and i still wouldn't mind watching it it's not just a cult classic death becomes her is a classic in 1993 the allman brothers band guitarist dickie betts is arrested for shoving two cops because fuck the police in 2001 gangsta boo releases both worlds 69 and the east side is releases deuces and trays the old-fashioned way in 2007 common releases finding forever keith murray releases rap Murphobia, the fear of real hip-hop and corn's eighth studio album which is titled untitled debuts at number two on the billboard 200 with 123,000 copies sold in its first week this is the first album without original drummer david silveria in 2009 funny people premieres in theaters in 2015 mission impossible rogue nation premieres in theaters and migos releases young rich nation in 2018 actor alan alda reveals he has had parkinson's disease for three years in an interview with cbs's this morning in 2020 black is king premieres on disney plus but more important to me than all of that shit in 1998 basketball starring trey parker and matt stone premiered in theaters and i love you robin harris i love your phase on love i like me some lou perry man you were cool go ohio yeah uh, yeah he's from ohio too death becomes her bruce willie meryl streep goatee hahn yeah love common keith murray corn love all of y'all man funny people seth rogan yeah man all of that shit but basketball, man, I have not talked about Trey Parker and Matt Stone enough on this show. Uh, we've talked about South Park and uh, their bigger, badder, and un uncut movie on Happened in the 90s, me and Matt. But yeah, man, those two are inspiring. Uh, they did this movie at the same time South Park was being produced. Uh, and that following year, uh, South Park, bigger, badder, uncut, however the fuck you say it. That came out summer of 99. And while they did that, they were producing South Park, you know, and it left little time for sleep. It's a lot of great one-liners. And also is Yasmin Bleeth before she got methed out and Jenny McCarthy, two hotties from the 90s. Basketball, man. God damn it, I swear. If you guys rip on me 13 or 14 more times, I'm out of here. Today in sports history, 
1930, New York Yankees first baseman Lou Gehrig drives in eight runs with a grand slam and two doubles in a 14-13 win over the rival Boston Red Sox. In 1932, the Cleveland Indians christened in their new home, Municipal Stadium, before more than 76,000 fans. They would lose the opener, however, one zip to the Philadelphia A's. In 1936, the IOC awards Tokyo, Japan the 1940 Summer Olympic Games. It would later be canceled because of the Second Sino-Japanese War. In 1938, MLB Commissioner Kennesaw Mountain Landis suspends New York Yankees outfielder Jake Powell after he said on Chicago radio he kept in shape by cracking African Americans over the head with his nightstick. Hey, that's not funny Jake Powell, eat a dick. In 1954, Milwaukee first baseman Joe Adcock becomes only the third player in the 20th century to hit four home runs in a nine-inning game behind Lou Gehrig and Gil Hodges in a 15-7 Braves win over Brooklyn Dodgers at Ebbets Field. In 1961, the 31st MLB All-Star Game is held at Fenway Park in Boston. It's the first tie in history, and the game is called due to rain after nine innings with the score 1-1. In 1963, the Cleveland Indians tie a record of four consecutive home runs to beat the California Angels 9-5. Woody Held, Pedros Ramos, Tito Francona, and Larry Brown all go deep off Paul Foytak in the sixth inning. Go Ohio! In 1972, Chicago infielder Dick Allen becomes only the seventh player in MLB history to hit two inside-the-park home runs in a game, both off Burt Blylevin, in an 8-1 White Sox win over the Minnesota Twins. In 1978, Cincinnati infielder Pete Rose singles off a of Phil Necro to extend his hitting streak to 44 games as the Reds edge the Atlanta Braves 3-2, tying Willie Keeler's 81-year-old National League record. In 1981, the mid-season strike by MLB players ends after 42 days, causing a cancellation of 713 games. The players and owners come to an agreement on free agent compensation. In 1983, Brooks Robinson, Juan Marichal, George Kell, and Walter Austin are inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. In 1987, Baltimore's first baseman Eddie Murray hits his 299th and 300th career home run to lead the Orioles to an 8-4 win over the Texas Rangers. In 1988, Oakland DH Jose Canseco smacks two home runs off Scott Bankhead in an A's 6-2 win over the Seattle Mariners. He becomes the first MLB player to hit 30 home runs in his first three years. Asterix. On that same day, the Miami Dolphins beat the San Francisco 49ers 27-21 in the American Bowl at London's Wembley Stadium. Also in 88, Pittsburgh Pirates first baseman and left fielder and seven-time All-Star, Willie Stargell becomes the 200th man inducted into baseball's Hall of Fame. In 1990, Texas Ranger pitcher Nolan Ryan records his 300th career victory in an 11-3 win over the Milwaukee Brewers. He's the 20th MLB pitcher to reach the milestone. In 1994, Baseball Hall of Fame inducts New York Yankee shortstop Phil Rizzuto and Philadelphia Phillies pitcher Steve Carlton. In 1997, A's first baseman Mark McGuire becomes MLB's top home run hitter to be traded in the middle of the season when he moves from Oakland to St. Louis. Also in 97, college football's all-time winningest coach Eddie Robinson and his Grambling State University program are placed on two years probation for rules violations, including recruiting and academic eligibility. 
in 2007, Boston Celtics obtained former MVP and 10-time All-Star Kevin Garnett in a 7-for-1 deal with the Minnesota Timberwolves, then the NBA's biggest ever trade for one player and the biggest turnaround for a season. And in 2012, Michael Phelps becomes the greatest medal winner in Olympic history as part of the winning American 4x200-meter freestyle relay team in London. It's Phelps' 19th career Olympic medal and 15th overall gold. And that was my half-assed sports history. Coming up, I'm going to talk about the film Basketball, as it was released on this day in 1998. We'll be black after these messages. God damn it, man. I swear you guys rip on me 13 or 14 more times. I'm out of here. Yeah, man, making beats is just what I do. Hey, hey, come come check this out, man. Official, man. I think I got something hot here. I got Julian, I got Ron J, Steve G, Mo P. I think it might go nuts. Play that track, man. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Certified great lakes food, Do the lakes gotta flow like an iceberg? The shit is so From the lakes, and I've been here for a long time. Hit you with the wrong rhyme, hit you with that boom, baby. Bye bye. Come and touch the sky. Not a fly, but I'll be on the wall observing all of y'all. I rock crowds, and y'all be so proud. Then have me on your stage, Ron Jeremy, and every day I get plays. I mean, I get plays. Hopefully, a radio station they will face me and pay me, okay? For sure. The lakes gotta flow like an iceberg. The shit is so But my mind's extra bold and my grind is committed So I turn glass to gold every rhyme that's invented I'm sick with it, runny nose flow Jumping off stage into the crowd, Geronimo Cooling in some white boy, 98 froth tips City haters on my jock trying to start shit You young boys making noise, be quiet Before I come down like the 05 riots Land of the lakes, recession's aggressive Brothers on the block giving beat down sessions I leave impressions so your girlfriend's texting Talking about she know a place to serve a mean breakfast And that mean we sexing till six in The morning said she was tired of your six inch Do the lakes gotta flow like an iceberg The shit is so The flow is nasty as the 
taste of black licorice Your frozen frames of mine, you couldn't picture this Drop from the sky like my name was Kid Icarus So cold like ice cubes, the wickedest They try to sister this cause they so sensitive I paint words on the canvas with my pismanship And when I'm in the zone they say that I am senseless So cold like I'm licking up in Tahoe so cold, like I'm living in Toronto Back in the day, match the Nikes with the Nautica I stay cold, like I partied in Antarctica I spark a split, then do it for the art of it Rap spark a kiss, why you need a rhyme and start a kit You better figure out your audience and target it And get some management, with the strongest in some marketing Yo, that was hot, dog. hey, 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 hey Wait, 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 bring that back, bring that Hey, yo, yo, I'm, I'm loving it, dog. This is like Tommy Jeans uh, Timberland boots and bubble coats, you feel me, boy? In a special mention to those no longer with us, last Sunday we lost English actor David Warner. Born David Hattersley Warner on July 29, 1941 in Manchester, England, he worked in film, television, and theater. He attended the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, and after making his stage debut in 1962, he joined the Royal Shakespeare Company, with whom he played Henry VI in the Wars of the Roses cycle at the West End's Aldwych Theatre in 1964. The RSC then cast him as Prince Hamlet in Peter Hall's 1965 production of Hamlet. He attained prominence on screen in 1966 through his lead performance in the Carell Rise film Morgan, A Suitable Case for Treatment, for which he was nominated for the BAFTA Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role. Warner's lanky, often haggard appearance lent itself to a variety of villainous characters, as well as more sympathetic roles across a range of media, often in science fiction or fantasy titles or period dramas, including The Omen, Time After Time, A Christmas Carol, Titanic, Mary Poppins Returns, and various characters in the Star Trek franchise. In 1981, he won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Miniseries or Special for his portrayal of the barbaric commander of a Roman legion in the television miniseries Masada. Having been diagnosed with cancer 18 months prior, which he had kept hidden from the public, Warner died of a lung cancer-related illness at Denville Hall in London on July 24, 2022, five days before his 81st birthday. On Monday, we lost American actor, opera singer, businessman, and writer Paul Sorvino. Born Paul Anthony Sorvino on April 13, 1939 in New York City, he often portrayed authority figures on both the criminal and the law enforcement sides of the law. Sorvino was particularly known for his roles as Lucci's crime family capo regime, Pauli Cicero, in Martin Scorsese's 1990 gangster film, Goodfellas, and as NYPD Sergeant Phil Serretta on the second season of the TV series, Law & Order. He also played a variety of father figures, including Juliet's father in Baz Luhrmann's 1996 film, Romeo and Juliet, as well as guest appearances as the father of Bruce Willis's character on Moonlighting, and the father of Jeff Garland's character on The Goldbergs. He took on additional supporting roles in A Touch of Class, Reds, The Rocketeer, The Cooler, and Nixon. Although usually cast in dramatic supporting roles, he had occasional leads in films including Blood Brothers, and also in comedic roles including his turn as a bombastic Southern evangelist in Carl Reiner's Oh God. 
Servino was also nominated for a Tony Award for Best Actor for the 1972 play That Championship Season and later starred in film and television adaptations. He was also the father of actors Mira Servino and Michael Servino. Servino died at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida on July 25, 2022, aged 83. He was interred at Hollywood Forever Cemetery. On Wednesday, we lost American actor, film producer, director, and sculptor Tony Dow. Born Anthony Lee Dow on April 13, 1945 in Los Angeles, California, he portrayed Wally Cleaver in the iconic television sitcom Leave it to Beaver from 1957 to 1963. From 1983 to 1989, Dow reprised his role as Wally in a television movie and in the new Leave it to Beaver. In May of this year, Dow was diagnosed with liver cancer. On July 26, 2022, after a premature report on Dow's death, his family announced that he was alive at his home in Topanga, California. However, it was reported that he was in his last hours and under hospice care. Dow died the following day on July 27 at the age of 77. Also on Wednesday, we lost American film, television, and stage actress Mary Alice. Born Mary Alice Smith on December 3, 1936 in Indianola, Mississippi, Alice was known for her roles as Leticia Letty Bostick on the NBC sitcom A Different World from 1987 to 1989 and Effie Williams in the 1976 musical drama Sparkle. Alice also performed on Sage and received a Tony Award for Best Featured Actress in a Play for her appearance in the 1987 production of August Wilson's Fences. Alice died on July 27, 2022, at her residence in Manhattan, at the age of 85, due to natural causes. On Thursday, we lost American professional football player William White. Born William Eugene White on February 19, 1966, in Lima, Ohio, he played safety for 11 seasons in the National Football League from 1988 to 1998. He started in Super Bowl 33 for the Atlanta Falcons. On July 12, 1994, he was traded from the Detroit Lions to the Kansas City Chiefs. After retiring, he lived in Ohio with his two sons and one daughter. White was diagnosed with ALS in 2016 and died six years later on July 28, 2022, at the age of 56. And just this morning, we lost American professional basketball player Bill Russell. Born William Felton Russell on February 12, 1934 in Monroe, Louisiana, he played as a center for the Boston Celtics of the NBA from 1956 to 1969. A five-time NBA Most Valuable Player and a 12-time NBA All-Star, he was the centerpiece of the Celtics dynasty that won 11 NBA championships during his 13-year career. Russell and Honoré Richard of the National Hockey League are tied for the record of the most championships won by an athlete in North American Sports League. He led the San Francisco Dons to two consecutive NCAA championships in 1955 and 1956, and he captained the gold medal winning U.S. national basketball team at the 1956 Summer Olympics. Russell is widely considered to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Despite his limitations on offense, some regard him as one of the greatest basketball players of all time for his dominating defensive play. Standing at 6'10 with a 7'4 arm span, 
His shot blocking and man-to-man defense were major reasons for the Celtics' domination of the NBA during his career. Russell was equally notable for his rebounding abilities, and he led the NBA in rebounds four times, had a dozen consecutive seasons of 1,000 or more rebounds, and remained second all-time in both total rebounds and rebounds per game. He is one of just two NBA players, the other being the prominent rival Wilt Chamberlain, to have grabbed more than 50 rebounds in a game. Russell played in the wake of black pioneers Earl Lloyd, Chuck Cooper, and Sweetwater Clifton, and he was the first black player to achieve superstar status in the NBA. He also served a three-season stint as a player coach for the Celtics, becoming the first black coach in North American professional sports and the first to win a championship. Russell was inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 1975, was one of the founding inductees into the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame in 2006, and was enshrined into the FIBA Hall of Fame in 2007. He was selected into the NBA 25th Anniversary Team in 1971, and the NBA 35th Anniversary Team in 1980, named as one of the 50 greatest players in NBA history in 1996, one of only four players to receive all three honors, and selected into the NBA 75th Anniversary Team in 2021. In 2009, the NBA renamed in his honor the NBA Finals Most Valuable Player Trophy to the Bill Russell NBA Finals Most Valuable Player Award. In 2011, Barack Obama awarded Russell the Presidential Medal of Freedom for his accomplishments on the court and the civil rights movement. In 2021, he was inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame a second time for his coaching career. Russell died peacefully beside his wife on July 31st, 2022 at the age of 88. Jose Fernandez was a Cuban-American professional baseball pitcher. Born Jose Delphine Fernandez Gomez on July 31, 1992 in Santa Clara, Cuba, he was affectionately known as Nino to his teammates and fans due to the youthful exuberance with which he played the game. He made three unsuccessful attempts at defecting to the United States before he finally succeeded in 2008. He enrolled at Brolio Alonzo High School in Tampa, Florida, and was selected by the Marlins in the first round of the 2011 MLB Draft. Fernandez made his MLB debut with the Marlins on April 7, 2013. He was named to the 2013 National League All-Star Team and won the National League Rookie of the Month Award in July and August. After the season, he won the NL Rookie of the Year Award and finished third in the Cy Young Award balloting. He underwent Tommy John surgery during the 2014 season and was named to his second All-Star game in 2016. Fernandez was the captain when he and two other men were killed in a pre-dawn boating crash into a jetty off the coast of Miami Beach, Florida on September 25, 2016. He was 24 at the time of his death. Kevin Green was an American professional football player. Born Kevin Darwin Green on July 31, 1962 in Schenady, New York, he played defensive end and outside linebacker for the Los Angeles Rams, Pittsburgh Steelers, Carolina Panthers, and San Francisco 49ers of the National Football League from 1985 through 1999. He had 160 sacks in his career, which ranks third among NFL career sack leaders, and he was voted to the NFL 1990s All-Decade Team. He was elected into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2016. Green played college football for the Auburn Tigers. He was a three-time All-Pro during his NFL playing career 
and was twice the league leader in sacks. He was later an outside linebackers coach for the Green Bay Packers from 2009 through 2013 and the New York Jets from 2017 through 2018. Green died of a heart attack at the age of 58 at his home in Destin, Florida on the morning of December 21, 2020. Many current and former Steelers paid tribute to Green on social media, including defensive end Stefan Tuitt, who made reference to their shared jersey number in his tribute. Ted Cassidy was an American actor. Born Theodore Crawford Cassidy on July 31, 1932 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he was noted for his tall stature at six foot nine and deep voice. He tended to play unusual characters in offbeat or science fiction series such as Star Trek and I Dream of Genie, and played Lurch on The Addams Family in the mid-1960s. He also narrated the Incredible Hulk TV series. Cassidy underwent surgery at St. Vincent Medical Center in Los Angeles to have a benign tumor removed from his heart. The tumor had formed as a result of the long-term effects of the condition acromegaly, which was also responsible for his deep voice, facial structure, and overall tall stature. Complications arose several days later while he was recuperating at home. He was readmitted to the same hospital where he died on January 16, 1979 at age 46. He was cremated and his ashes were scattered in his backyard. Rest easy, y'all. On this day in 1998, Basketball premiered in theaters. Basketball is an American sports comedy film co-written and directed by David Zucker and starring South Park creators Trey Parker and Matt Stone, along with Yasmin Bleeth, Jenny McCarthy, Robert Vaughn, Ernest Borgnine, and Diane Bacar. The film follows the history of the sport of the same name, from its invention by the lead characters as a game they could win against more athletic types to its development as a nationwide league sport and the target of corporate sponsorship. This is the only work involving Parker and Stone that was neither written, directed, nor produced by them, although Zucker himself has stated that Parker and Stone contributed innumerable suggestions for the film, most of which were used. Basketball is credited with coining the internet slang term, DERP! Dude, I'm not gonna cave in. End of story, dude. Dude! 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 I guess you've got a point there. Joe Cooper and Doug Reamer, two slackers and lifelong best friends, gatecrash a high school reunion and are shunned by their classmates. They find themselves outside drinking beer and shooting a basketball when two classmates challenge them to a game. After seeing that their opponents are very good at basketball, they say they will only play a game they picked up in the streets while secretly inventing the rules as they play, based on both basketball and baseball. After winning, they decide to refine the rules to the game and Coop makes the first basketball out of a lazy boy chair. Their friend, Kenny Squeak Scaleri, tags along and the sport becomes very popular in the neighborhood over the next six months. Businessman Ted Dinslow meets Coop and Reamer and proposes the creation of the National Basketball League along with numerous rules in place to prevent its decline. Teams cannot switch cities, players cannot be traded, individuals cannot make money via corporate sponsorship deals, and it is completely open to anyone who wants to play, 
with Denslow stating that anyone can be a sports hero. Coop is reluctant, but ultimately accepts the opportunity. Five years later, the NBL is in full swing with teams, fans, stadiums, and a major championship, the Denslow Cup. Denslow is owner of the Milwaukee Beers, Coop and Reamer's team. During the championship game, Denslow dies from choking on a hot dog, causing Coop to miss his shot and costing the Beers the game. Denslow's will names Coop as owner of the Beers for one year on the condition that they win the next Denslow Cup. Otherwise, ownership reverts to Denslow's widow, Yvette. Coop and Reamer then meet Jenna Reed, head of the Dream Come True Foundation, and Joey, one of the children in her care and a passionate fan of basketball. Coop, Reamer, and Squeak begin spending time with the two, with Coop eventually forming a relationship with Jenna. Baxter Kane, owner of the Dallas Felons, wants to remove Denslow's rules, preventing monetization of the sport, but could not while Denslow was alive. However, Coop refuses to accept any changes. Kane partners with Yvette as he tries to make the Beers lose the next Denslow Cup so she will own the team. However, the Beers still continue winning games and heading towards the championship. Kane approaches Reamer, telling him that he made an offer to Coop, but Coop refused without telling Reamer. Reamer confronts Coop about what Kane told him, and Coop quickly compromises by declaring Reamer part owner of the team. Later, Kane cuts the funding to Jenna's foundation in an attempt to get Coop and Reamer to adapt a clothing line. Coop is against it, but Reamer agrees and becomes conceited with his newfound A-list status. After the semifinals, Kane informs Coop and Reamer that the clothing line has been produced through child labor in Calcutta. If the public finds out, the team and Jenna's foundation will be ruined. Kane blackmails Coop and Reamer into losing or forfeiting the Denslow Cup game or he will inform the public. Jenna learns about the scandal and breaks up with Coop, as Coop and Reamer blame each other for the controversy. With their friendship dissolved, Coop goes to Calcutta, aiming to resolve the situation by replacing the child workers with adults. Making it back to the championship game just as it begins, Coop and Reamer still argue with each other, and the Beers are losing. By the seventh inning stretch, the Beers are down 16-zip. Having had enough of Coop and Reamer's feuding, Squeak gives the stadium an impassioned speech, reminding Coop and Reamer where they came from, how much they changed everyone else's lives, and what they risk losing. Motivated, Coop and Reamer reconcile their differences, as Yvette, also moved by Squeak's speech, breaks off her alliance with Kane. After shifting their focus back in the game, they are poised to win when Coop's Lazy Boy pops. Coop is crestfallen until Joy brings him a new basketball made from a Barca lounger. After a risky last throw, they win the Denslow Cup. Jenna and Coop reconcile as Yvette makes out with Reamer and the both of them skate around the stadium with their new trophy. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Dale Earnhardt, Reggie Jackson, Jim Lampley, Kenny Mayne, Tim McCarver, Pat O'Brien, Dan Patrick, Real Big Fish, Victoria Silvstead, and Robert Stack make cameo appearances as themselves. Rotten Tomatoes website reads, Basketball isn't just a succession of fouls, thanks to the comedic zip of David Zucker's direction, but sophomoric gags and a lack of performance hustle by Trey Parker and Matt Stone makes this satire a clumsy bunt. In a positive review with Variety, Leonard Clady said, Basketball has the heightened entertainment challenge of presenting an invented sport. The film's physical comedy should translate well internationally and chalk up high scores on video. 
The film was awarded four stars out of five by Empire Magazine's Ian Freer, who called it funny but described the humor as sometimes hit and miss. Conversely, Los Angeles Times' Jack Matthews labeled the film as sleep-inducing and by far the most inane and badly written of the comedies made by any of the creators of the classic 1980 send-up, Airplane. Michael Sullivan in the Washington Post called the film dark, dull, witless, and hobbled by poor comic timing, comparing its gross-out humor unfavorably to that of There's Something About Mary. Roger Ebert echoed this sentiment in his negative review in the Chicago Sun-Times, giving the film one and a half stars out of four, and saying the film tries to buy laughs with puerile shocks. In response to a negative review from Roger Ebert, Parker and Stone named the South Park second season episode Roger Ebert should lay off the fatty foods, which, despite its title, did not feature Ebert. Parker and Stone also referenced Basketball's negative reception in South Park's season 8 episode, The Passion of the Jew, where at one point Stan Marsh tells Kenny McCormick as they attempt to get a refund for the tickets they bought to see Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. This is about being able to hold bad filmmakers responsible. This is just like when we got our money back for Basketball. Ah. Haters gonna hate. And I don't care. Basketball. I fucks with you. Thank you, David Zuckers. Thank you, Trey Parkers. Matt Stones. Happy anniversary. Basketball. In today's birthdays for July 31st, Turning 27 a day is American hip-hop artist Lil Uzi Vert. Turning 36 is American football player Brian Arakpo. Happy 40th birthday to one of my favorite cowboys of all time, Demarcus Ware. Turning 43 is American actor, director, producer, and screenwriter B.J. Novak. American football player Jonathan Ogden turns 48 today. American football player and coach Gus Farratt turns 51. Happy 56th birthday to American actor, producer, screenwriter, Superman himself, Dean Cain. Turning 57 is English author and film producer, J.K. Rowling. Also 57 is American wrestler and producer, John Laurinaitis. As well as American basketball player and coach, Scotty Brooks. Happy 60th birthday to American actor, producer, Wesley Snipes. Nino! And happy 64th birthday to American businessman, television personality, and one of my favorite sports franchise owners of all time, Mark Cuban. One of these days, I'd like to smoke a Cuban with Mark Cuban. Seems like a cool guy. So that wraps up another edition of Over the Culture Podcast. Please make sure to check out Happen in the 90s every Thursday with my buddy Matt G. Crushgasm with Kendra every Wednesday. B3F Podcast and Don't Worry, Be Movie with Amanda and Wade. Y'all wish me luck. Ah, fucking life. Peace.